I needed that. <laughs> Fits me a little better now. The glasses, never mind, you don't need all that. <clears throat> Here's what I want to say. God bless the Monday night crowd. Now, preachers know what that means. <laughs> I'm just glad to see you. Thank you for coming. I pray God meet with us in a powerful, very special way. I think he already has. Uh, the worship music is just good. Uh, Ryan and the young, young people, just God bless you. Thank you for that. But I want to get right after it. Um, I'll take these off now for a moment. <clears throat> Quick review. The Great Awakening, salvation. It's far greater than we know, but as we grow on in our journey of faith, our salvation should become more precious to us than any wake-up call we ever get. I mean, wake-up calls, I need one daily. Somebody say amen to that. You know what I mean? God, speak into my life. Get, get me on track. What's, I'm spinning my wheels here in temporal things, worldly mind. God, get my mind on the things of eternity. The great awakening, many wake-up calls. Um, I want to share this with you. Tetelestai. I spoke on that. <clears throat> Tet elestai. It's one word, and it's what the high priest Caiaphas would have said when the lamb was finally dead. He knew that the death of this lamb meant the payment of the penalty of Israel's sin for another year till the next Passover. And they would go in and go through the same ritual again and present the, the blood as the covering for the sin, the atonement work of that. When Jesus said the word tetelestai, it did not mean that the sacrifice was completed. It meant the sacrificial system was completed. Do you realize? How are you glad we don't have to bring a lamb anymore? We've got a lamb, the lamb of God, the paschal lamb, to take away the sin of the world. Hebrews 10 says this, and Hebrews is a book, oh my soul, we ought to know more about it. It helps us in our journey of faith. It says this in verse 12, for by one offering hath this man, Jesus is the context, for by this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Caiaphas, or whoever the next high priest is going to be, have to be coming in year after year. When he sat down, he's saying that's it. Verse 14 says, for by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified. In Sunday school I talked about what it meant to be a saint. <clears throat> sanctified means those who've been made holy through the blood of Christ. Not some meritorious behavior. Not by works of righteousness which I have done but according to his, somebody help me, his mercy. If you're saved, it was the mercy and grace of God that brought you to understand it. That kicked on the lights and showed you who you were as we sang about and came to Christ. We responded to that, that call of salvation. <clears throat> if, if we had time, just love to just listen with that framework. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. We got one offering. It's Christ and Him alone. Having therefore, brethren, boldness. Remember what happened when He said, Tetelestai? from top to bottom that which kept everyone but the one high priest from the holy place we now have boldness to enter because of the blood of Christ and if you don't start getting excited I will not preach anything but this until you do 
This should light us up what has happened. It is finished. Say amen to that. The work of redemption has been completed by our Savior, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Tetelestai. Our memory challenge. Can we? God bless you. Okay. Rather than have someone say it, I'd like for all of us to say it together. Would you? That's our memory verse. Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Good memory verse. That was true when Luke penned it. It is true today. No other means of salvation than this. I encourage you to work on scripture memory. Joyce and I do this. Uh, I do more of it than Joyce does. We choose one verse a year. This year it's been about three different verses. And one psalm. And we'll memorize a psalm. Our psalm this year is Psalm 61. Oh, I can't remember how it starts. And then our, our, our other verses, Philippians 2.16 and Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. And I can't remember. We have a few verses. Just work at them. If you only bat 500 and you take on five verses and you only bat five, you only get two verses, maybe three verses. You see, that's not many. That's better than nothing. Just do something with Scripture. Maybe get God's Word in your heart. Memorize it. Get into our minds and our hearts. It's such a valuable thing to do. A spiritual exercise that benefits all of us. Well, let's go to John chapter 11. I'm going to read, and we're going to take off. Got a lot of stuff to share, so we'll get right after it. <clears throat> you can start praying now. All right, here we go. Verse 7 and 8. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go again. Let us go into Judea again. Verse 8. His disciples saying to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou there again? We're going to try to unpack that. Lord, help us now. Help me to stay on track, not say anything you don't want me to say, and yet not leave out the things the devil would love to steal from me at this time, to assault me. I thank you for the prayers, for the presence of your spirit here tonight. Use it. God, send us away a little different than what we were when we came, God. Just don't leave us alone. I pray we would have a prayer for you. to God, speak to us. Just speak to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to unpack some words here. Then after that, saith he. The word saith. These are the words of Jesus. How many of you have a red letter edition? Any of you have red letter? Okay. How many of you know they're all red letter? Come on. This is God's word. Would you agree? And Jesus is God, so it's all red letter. It's okay. But John now, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, recording as an old man things that he remembers well that occurred when he was a very young man. Possibly some commentators say the youngest of the disciples would have been John. That lived the longest. Died in exile and Patmos. Where he got the revelation, which is only maybe five to ten at the most, I dare say closer to five years, he wrote his gospel, first, second, third John, as well as got the revelation in the last years of his life. He's a seasoned veteran saint. Mary, the mother of Christ, whom he had been given responsibility from the cross by Jesus to care for her, is dead now. I mean, all the apostles probably have died. Paul's dead the one who pins so many of our epistles and stuff. So try to capture this man as he is pinning these and God's Spirit is saying to him, this is what I want down here. Then after that, saith he, saith he, the word saith. If you read your Bibles, you will see that word used 4,000 times. 
And many times by prophets, by prophets, they will say, the Lord saith. And that was not what they, their two cents wasn't what they were trying to get across. The Lord saith. And this is scripture. The Lord saith. The word saith about 4,000 times. The word, excuse me, said 4,000 times. The word saith 1,262 times. The word say 1,007 times. The word speak 650 times. It's about 7,000 times that this book, the writers of it would say, this is what God had to say. This is what God had to say. He saith those things. One of my favorite verses that talk about God speaking to us from his word. I know people have said, I want God to talk to me. And I'll say, read the Bible. No, no, I want to hear his voice. Read it out loud. Somebody amen with that. Just read it out loud. It's his word. Just, you want to hear him? Just read it out loud then. Okay. So this is what God is saying. But one of my favorites is in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 9. I'll give you the scene. I'm trusting many of you are familiar with this. There was a priest by the name of Eli. And he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. We're not going to go there. And he, Hannah comes and she prays God because Elkanah, her husband, has two wives. One of them is having children. She's not. She wants to have children. She's in weeping before the Lord in the temple area. Not the temple area. It's not the temple. It's not Bajia, in the in Shiloh, tabernacle area. And she's praying, God, please, give me, if you give me a son, I'll give me back to you. And Eli comes up and rebukes her, thinks she's drunk, and she's crying, praying. She is really in the spirit of God, praying and pouring out her heart before God. And he says, okay, you're not drunk, okay, and here's what your prayer He said, the Lord will give you a child about this time next year. And sure enough, Samuel's born. She weans him and keeps her promise to God and brings and presents him to Eli the priest. So he is taken over here, and his other sons are going a, a route so sadly away from God. They're corrupt. How can that happen? I don't know. But it happens all too often. What a blessing when it doesn't. Amen. What a blessing. Amen. Um, God speaks to this little boy at night. Oh, listen to me, young people. God speaks to little children. Don't you think he doesn't? He's speaking to his Samuel, Samuel. He bounces out of bed, goes into Eli and says, Yes, sir, what is it you want? He says, What are you doing here? I didn't call you. Go back to bed, you had a dream. On the third time, the priest finally realizes, I ain't calling him, but somebody is. It's probably God. And he said, The next time you hear your name called, say this, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. How many of you are familiar with that? You've heard that account before. Would it do us well if we came into where we know God is going to be speaking, and if we said to God, You have something to say to me, I want to hear it. I wonder how many times, this is something we do. We go to church, not every time. I wish I would every time. But I'll say, God, you got something to say to me tonight through the preaching of your word. What you, see, I want to preach the word. If I'm going to be criticized for things, I'd rather have you, oh, you use too much scripture. Hallelujah. Good. Just, just preach the word. I charge before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who is judged the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doubt. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap for themselves teachers having itching ears and they'll stand in the pulpits and they'll talk about poetry and politics and all kinds of platitudes that mean nothing. Preach the word. Just pro And if people are out there saying, you've got something to say to me, God, I want to hear. You might be amazed that God doesn't say something to you. You never anticipated hearing from him. Because what God reveals to Samuel, Eli knows he needs to hear it. 
And Samuel don't want to tell him because it's not necessarily good news. But he tells him, he said, don't keep anything back. Would you really want to hear from God and say to him, don't keep anything back. I want to know the truth about me. Hmm. Speak, Lord. Well, Joyce and I, our memory verse, one of them I told you about was Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. This has to do with the word of God. It says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I am not run in vain, neither labored in vain. That Greek word forth can also mean fast. Some translations render it that because it can mean both things. When you hold something fast, you're holding it tight to yourself. Let me give you this word picture. If you had been on a boat, storm, washed overboard, into the sea, in peril of your life, and someone threw you a lifeline. They threw you a, a life preserver on a rope, and you grabbed hold of it as the boat would be pulling, and you grabbed, can I tell you something? You wouldn't put one hand up and say, I hope I make it. You would grab hold of it as though you're very, how many of you know this is our life preserver? Would you agree? This is it. We need to hold fast the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I'm not running vainly to labor. It says also, hold forth as you would hold a lamp or a lantern. Thy word is, come on, help me. A lamp to my feet and a what? A light. So you hold it like this, the word of God. Let people see it. See that it's the word of God that's guiding your steps and you're going this particular way. And also, in desperate situations, grab a hold of it and lay on to it. Bear this in mind as we go through this message. God's word. Mm. Heaven and earth, Matthew 24, 35. How many of you know the rest of that? Heaven and earth shall what? Pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Can I tell you something? Kings and kingdoms are going to pass away. Governments and governors are going to pass away. But this book's going to be around when they're dead and gone. God says, don't you worry about taking care of the book. I'll preserve my word. It's heaven and earth is going to pass away. John's, excuse me, let me give you this one. 1 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are in it shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things should be dissolved, those of us who believe that's actually going to happen. How do you know <laughs> climate change ain't going to destroy the planet? Did you know that? The one who made it is the one who says, I'm going to destroy this. I'm going to judge this earth one of these days. Now, heaven and earth is going to pass away. John 6, 68. Jesus spoke some hard things to disciples of his. And he's testing their theology, their doctrine, their, what they really believe about Jesus. And because it was hard things in John chapter 6 that he said, if you plan to go to this book and find only these things, you're going to be disappointed. Because some hard things are in this book. True things about us and about life and death and heaven and hell. They're in this book. And he, they begin to leave. And they were just drifting off. On, like Demas, he had departed into Thessalonica. He, he just, they go back. And he, said, he looked at his disciples and says, Will you go away also? And Peter blessed. How do you know Peter sometimes opened his mouth and had been better off to keep her shut? Say amen to that. But this is one of them times he looked and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. He got it. What he was saying, how do you know that everything Jesus spoke was in fact the word of God? We don't have them all written, all the things that he spoke. We have many of those things. But he said, you alone have the words of eternal life. 
Luke 8, verse 11, parable of the sower. The disciples said, Jesus, would you explain that parable to us? How many of you know they didn't always get it? Would you agree with that? How many of you know we don't always get it? And he says, would you explain that to us? Because he's spoken parables because he's got a mixed group. And a lot of them are Pharisees out there and he's doing it for a purpose. He said, would you explain? First thing he said is, the seed is the word of God. Now, he didn't say this, but I'm going to tell you something. The seed is certified. There ain't nothing wrong with the seed. It's the soil that gives, come on. It's not the seed. The seed is certified. It has, John 6.63 says this. Is it 663 or 668? It's 663. He said, it is the spirit that giveth life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The germ that's in the seed, that's the life. That's what makes that thing, when it dies, the shell, that thing comes out of it and lives off of that. He said, don't worry about the seed. You just sow it. The soil is going to make the difference. But the seed is certified it will produce Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and of the marrow. In fact, it literally is a discerner of the secret intents of our heart. In the dim regions of our old darkened heart that's still there, when the word of God is preached, when the word of God is read, when it's studied, when it's meditated upon, It'll go into areas and crevices and cracks of our old heart and kick on the light and let us see us for who we really are. Then we can do something. If we don't, we're just going to be groping around in the dark. It commands it to go. It's living and it's powerful. How many of you are familiar with, we sang it, many of the things in that last song about the prodigal son. How many of you are familiar with that account? It'll save you some preaching time. Just raise your hands, okay? Here we go. I know you are. I know you've heard about the prodigal. We sang about him. When you come to yourself, he came to himself. Here's the scene. Father, two sons. I'm going to do this quick because we're not to the, this is introduction. We're not to the message yet, okay? Took one word, saith, and we're going to get to the message, which is following Jesus may be risky business. This is foundational to the riskiness of our Christian life in the day in which we're living. Prodigal, father, two sons. Younger says to his father, would you give me my portion of my inheritance? Which wasn't really proper to do at that time. Because usually after the father passed away, the will's read. And then you, but he, he cut it out and gave it to him. And he stayed around for a little while like I'd just like to have it, whatever his smokescreen was. But his heart was, the day's coming. I'm taking my stuff he give, and I'm getting as far away from him as I can. And I'm going to live the way I want to live. That was in the son's heart. And sure enough, he did that. He went to a far country, and it says he wasted his substance in riotous living. Wine, women, and song. He just spent it all. And then I'm sure the father was praying for his son to come to himself, to get right with God, and come home. This is a parent's nightmare. This happens all too frequently. And sure enough, hard times came. This young Jewish boy found himself not just working for a hog farmer, but eating the food that he was supposed to be feeding the hogs. You couldn't get any lower for a Jewish boy than to be doing this. And it says he came, in verse 17 it says, he came to himself. What a blessed thing when we do this. He came to himself and he says, my father's servants have it better than I have. 
Here it is. I will return to my father's house. I'm going home. And I will say to my father, I have sinned against heaven. Because you want to know why he's going to say that first? Because his dad lined up with heaven. And it was heaven's influence that he wanted to live like hell over here. That he couldn't take. So I want to get away from that. And he got away from it. And he finally saw his life and said, I've come to the end. I'm going back to my father's house. And say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now I've got a question I'm going to ask you. I dare say you've never heard this question asked. I've never heard it about this. The son's finally ready to get right with heaven. He's going back home. I will return. What if the father had moved? What if the father no longer lined up with heaven? Maybe for the sake of thinking, if I make some concessions with what end up driving him away, maybe he'll come back then. But when he came back, he didn't find his dad where his dad was when he left him. He'd moved. There's an enormous pressure today on pulpits that preach the word to move from stands that when you you're blessed to be here under this kind of ministry you are churches I have preached in that made concessions because they thought they had a better way than to stand on God's word what if our churches have moved churches were no longer hospitals that cared for the sick the sickness and disease of sin with standards of cleanliness that you want in your hospitals. Churches are supposed to be given to the ministry of hospitality. You know what that means? You care for the needs of others. The qualified surgeons and doctors are no longer there. They've moved. The standards have changed. I don't want a guy to start cutting on me and you look under his nails and he looks like a mechanic's hands. I ain't got nothing against mechanic hands. I love to shake hands with men and shake hands with a man that earns his living. I got these soft, stinking preacher hands. I love to shake hands with a man that earns his living. But I don't want mechanic cutting on me with them kind of fingernails. Are you following this? What if we move? What if the church moves? To what will people come back to when God finally deals with them and says, go home? What if governments move? Oh, come on, people, get real. You think this is the same America it was when I was a kid growing up? Come off it. The citizens, people were pledged to protect. Oath. endorse the very dangers that threaten them. It's insane. Where law and order was and we once felt safe, what if the Father had moved? Don't move. Become firmly planted on the Word of God, no matter how hard it may seem. And don't move.
when God does a work and we come to ourselves, we have some place to go back to. It's quiet as it should be. This is something worth pondering. I could tell you illustration after illustration where pastors have caved, where parents, missionaries, have caved from a stand hoping a child would come back and they don't come back. They don't come back unless there's something to come back to. That life doesn't work. get out of this heaviness. I want to. I don't know how to. How many of you know I never addressed one straight issue, but you all have issues. Would you agree with that? We all know what we're talking about. The book. Stick with the book. You say, well, people won't like me. <laughs> Jesus said, beware when all men be." be Beware when you please all men. That's not how it's said. Jesus, don't you know that you offended the Pharisees? Here it is. Beware when all men speak well of you. Because if you're pleasing everybody, you ain't pleasing God. Please him first. And the ones who are pleased, that's okay. And the ones who are not, expect it. Oh, I got to get out of this. Let me see. <clears throat> we'll try this. Another one of our memory verses was... Hebrews chapter 1. Listen to this verse. God, who at sundry times and in a diverse manner spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he made heir of all things, by whom also he created the earth, the world. Listen to this verse. Who being, this is Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. If you want to know what God looks like, study Jesus. He will let you know what God looks like. And he says this, Who being the express image of his person, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of a person, watch this, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How's he going to do it? How's God going to pull off everything he said? By the word of his power. The very book you and I hold in our hands. The word of God. Amen. Now we're going to get to this. When Christianity, when Christian living becomes risky and dangerous. I hope I've laid a foundation to say that's going to end up being the issue. This book. This is what it's going to be. Over the Bible. Oh my. <laughs> I don't know how that fit. I had a song in here I was going to sing to you. Come on. Okay, I will. Thank you, Lord. I'm glad. Uh, don't you wish God just spoke that clearly to you? Thank you. Here it is. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Do you have that one in your field? Some of you recognize it. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty. Teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. This is the word of life. 
holding forth the word of life, holding fast the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. See, this is the day of man, but the day of the Lord is coming. You can flip him off now, but I'll guarantee you there's a day coming no man will. Knees will come crashing to the ground, and tongues will begin to involuntarily wag, saying, He is Lord, He is Lord, He is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It's coming. The great confession is coming. You might as well confess him now and get the benefits of heaven. Say amen to that. Then to confess him later and have to still go to hell. But the day is coming. Boy, this book says things that without grace and faith, it is hard to embrace. It's just hard to. Well, (laughs) here we go. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. We'll give you some background to that. Over in verse 22 of chapter 10. If you have your Bibles open, let me give you the scene here, what's happened. And it was at Jerusalem at the Feast of Dedication. It was winter. Jesus walked in the temple of Solomon's port, Solomon's colonnade. That's where he did a lot of his teachings. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. He's been telling them plainly. They're just not getting it. Jesus answered, I told you before. I told you. And you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not. Because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Watch this one. I and my Father are one. There's deity. That's what's going to separate you from a lot of denomination cults. You deny the deity of Christ. I got to know you step outside of Christianity when you do this. I and the Father one. How, do I understand that? Can I embrace my, does my gray matter have a capacity to understand that three can be one and one can be three? Absolutely not. Hero is the Lord our God is one Lord. He exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I have to embrace that one by faith. He just tells them. But they understood what he meant when he said, Then, Jews, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I shown you from, from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? The Jews answered, saying, they understood that for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. Because and because thou being a man makest thyself God. Yep. Amen. Absolutely. They understood it. But they said it couldn't be. It's impossible. Jesus answered them. Okay, here's what I want to do with this. They're going to kill him right now. This is not something that's new Jesus now, in the last year of his earthly ministry, they know what he's claiming, and people are believing this. And they say, we've got to get rid of him. And they're going to stone him. They pick up stones to stone him. Verse 39, therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hands. And he went away again beyond the Jordan into the place where John at first baptized and where he abode. And many resorted into there, and John did no miracle, but all things that John spoke of this man were true, and many believed on him there in the wilderness area. Now downtown Jerusalem, he wasn't accepted among the religious elite of his day, but he would go to a wilderness area and people would come to him and hear him preach and hear him teach, and they said, yep, he is the Messiah. This is the Savior God sent. Now, three months have passed from then to here when you pick up the narrative in verse, in chapter 11. He says, okay boys, remember, 
a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, just outside Jerusalem, um, whose sister was Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary that anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hairs, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, they sent unto him, remember this, they sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. It's a two-day journey from Bethany up to Bethbara, which is basically the same thing. Bethbara is the same meaning as Bethany. It's the house of unripe figs and grapes. Date palms, figs, were grown in abundance on this side of the Jordan, being much more tropical in its weather. I don't know why I'm sharing this with you. I love this kind of stuff, but it really doesn't matter. I just like to see that in reality, this is probably what's on this side is, was a packing house. It's believed to be a packing house for the figs and the dates because travelers, when they would take their two-day journey from here down to Jerusalem proper, you know what they would take? Cakes of figs. They're high in sugar, high in nutrients, and they manufactured them there. And they also distributed them. This, that would be a production center. Bethany of down here in New Jerusalem would have probably been a distribution center. You don't need this, okay? I'm sorry. Here to here, he's up there because it's more wilderness, arid, and farmers up here doing this kind of business. Now he's going to take a two-day journey back down to here, down to Beth, three months before the cross. And from there, he's going to go to a place after they try to kill him and they're going to leave. You know where they go? They go to a town called Ephraim. Maybe I'll share that with you later. Maybe I won't, okay? Back to this scene right here. Here's what he says to him. We've been going three months up here in basic safety. Away from Jerusalem, the people want to kill you. The people up here are believing. The ministry's going good. The disciples are saying, and you want to go down there again? Watch the times it says, verse 31 of 10, again. Verse 39 of 10, they sought therefore again to take you. And he says, let's go to Judea again. They've been there. John's the one who covers the ministry in Judea. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they cover the ministry in Galilee. 90% of it takes place here, 10% takes down here. This is a unique ministry he's talking about, about the death of Lazarus. Now, he says, let's go down here to where Lazarus is at, and he's going to see him. He said, we're going to go down there again. And they say, they have late sought to kill you again. I want to focus on that word for just a few moments. Again, how do you know that you cannot do something again until you've done it once? How are you glad you heard that, okay? You can't do something again till you've done it once. He's been there and knows the situation he's about to enter into again. The people here want to kill me. Where Christianity becomes risky business, let me, let me share this illustration. This would probably be helpful. Um, when I became a, a state trooper, Michigan State trooper, I uh, was young. Uh, I was working the road alone. I probably hadn't been on the road alone for three months, probably three weeks, because I was just real aggressive, wanting to do my job, okay? And I had worked with a senior officer who taught me how to spot drunk drivers. Now, I've never been a drinker. I hadn't been around people that drink and are drunk and those kind of things. And he said, I'll tell you how to spot them. And he would tell me, he said, you can arrest a drunk driver any time of the day or night. If, if, if you people only knew the drunks you'll probably pass tonight going home. It, it would shock you. It really would. I mean, I'm talking about over the legal, uh, over the limit. So he had taught me, he says, some guys, 
they learn how to drive and they'll use up the whole road. They know it's safer, I got more to deal with, so they drive the center line as long as nothing's coming. But if something's coming, they slide over and when you go by, they go back in. He said, that is a professional drunk driver. He knows how to, to do this. And he had told me that, I hadn't seen that. I'm working the road alone. And I, got, I see a guy coming at me in a great big truck. And he's straddling the center line. And sure enough, as I started getting close to him, he slid over just calmly. I went by, as soon as I went by, I was checking the rearview mirror. He went right back to the straddling the line again. I said, I think I'll take a look at him. So I turned around and I followed him. Sure enough, another car comes. He slides over like this. Car goes by. He goes back to the center line. It's on a state trunk line, M21 in Michigan. And it's as straight as a string. It's in the flatland thumb of the flatland up in the thumb of Michigan. And so he's and I thought, I'll take a look at him. So I popped the lights, pull him over. I went up to, it was a big well drilling truck. And I went up to the car and I said, sir, can I see your operator's license registry? And he's handing all this stuff down to me. And I smell the booze. I smell it on him. And I said, sir, uh, I can tell you've had a little bit to drink. Uh, I said, would you step out and mind if I give you a few sobriety tests? This guy started getting out of this truck. And he kept getting out, getting out, and getting out. He's the biggest man I ever saw in my life. He got out of this truck. I mean, his head, he, it said he was six foot 10, 350 pounds. He always lie on them things, you know. He, he's a 400 pounds. This guy's, he's got a head this big around. He's got fingers that big around. He's just got a nose like this. He's just huge. I'm 6'4". He dwarfed me. I mean, I don't have to look like this very often. How do you ever see a seven-footer? Any of you ever been actual physically seen a seven-footer? They are, can you imagine what Goliath looked like? A nine-sixer. I mean, he just dwarfs you. And this guy is huge. And sure enough, I got to look at him over. He's got eyes look like a road map. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 2 o'clock. This guy gets up. You know what he has for breakfast? A hydraulic sandwich. Do any of you know what that is? Never mind. But I asked him, I said, have you had anything to drink? He said, just, they always, it's always just one. I said, what'd you drink it out of? A five-gallon bucket? Good night, this thing. <laughs> so anyway, I, I give him to this, you know, can you say the ABC? A, B, D, B, C, B, D. Can't say that. Can you touch the... Take your index put, touch your nose, he'd right in his eye. And I asked him if he could walk, you know, I did the things that you supposed you were trained to do. And he could do all right as long as he leaned on his truck. <laughs> he let go of that truck and man, he was all over the place. So I made my decision. I said, sir, I think you've had too much to drink to be driving. You're under arrest for operating a motor vehicle while under the influence of toxin. Lick it, pull it. And he said to me, I ain't going anywhere with you. Now, how many of you know I just said, you're going with me? And he just said, I ain't going. I got it. I remember my first thought was, well, be careful on the way home, you know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to dance with this guy or not, you know, he's just huge. And I said, no, that won't do. That won't do. I know this is all going on. The things, how do you know your mind has a capacity to have a complete thought in a millisecond? You, you have, our minds are phenomenal capacity to think. And so I remember thinking, no, that's not, that's not acceptable. And uh, here was my response. I made my choice. I said, uh, I've been working on a Marlon Brando voice. I don't know, if, for a situation like this. And so I shifted into my Marlon Brando voice. I said, you're going. I said, you can go sitting in the saddle laying across it, but you're going. So I tapped it back into his court. Now he's got a decision to make. And when, when I said that, I began to reach back in the kitchen and I started staring at his nose because I, I remember thinking, if I can just get one lick in on his face, before he kills me, if I can just hit him one time, and so he knows that, and I know he's thinking right now, because this ain't his first rodeo, I'll guarantee you, he's bluffed some cops before, and that line got him away. But he's met this young guy, this, see, and I'm thinking, and he's thinking, I know he's thinking I can whip that boy, which he could have. If he had got his hand around my neck, I'd, he'd pinch my head off. And he's thinking, 
I know I can whip that boy, but it's going to hurt because he knows I'm going to get one lick on his nose. So he says, well, I'll go, but I don't want to. And I remember saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> I said, turn around, put your arms behind your back. Have you ever seen these guys? They're so thick. He went like this. He said, I'm skinny, I'm thin-chested, I can go like this. You can... And then I said, well, put your hands out in front of you. His wrists were like this, I could, the handcuffs wouldn't fit them. And he, he kind of snickered. I'm trying to squeeze on his hands. And he kind of laughed. I said, I'll tell you what, if you're a good boy, I'll let you sit in the front seat, okay? Because <laughs> his whole demeanor changed when he submitted to the fact that he knew that I'm going to take him one way or the other. You know what? I never had to make that decision again. You think I, in 11 years of police work, I didn't have someone say to me again, I ain't going anywhere with you. I didn't have to think about what I was going to do. I didn't have to. I knew what I was going to do. <laughs> do you know there's a blessedness in the word again? Bear that in mind as we go through this message. <laughs> Second Peter 1.12 Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things though you know them and are already established in the present truth. Yeah, I think it fitting as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle even as the Lord Jesus Christ hath shown me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things in remembrance. Something you hear again and again and again. I'm not going to preach anything new to you about the Bible. You've heard every verse I've already preached to you from. It's good for you to hear it again. Amen. It prepares you for when these kinds of tests come. When you pass that first one, you can do it again. You're going to see that in the apostles. Again. Again. The early church in Acts chapter <laughs> 4. If you have your Bibles and like to turn to that. Or you can just listen. You're going to be familiar with this early church. Acts chapter 4. Pentecost has come. Spirit has come. He's now living within. Enabling gifts, callings, these kind of things. The church is birthed. You got her 3,000. You got her 5,000. She's growing. The word of God is producing children of God. Through the spirit of God. Well, the early church in Acts chapter 4 says this. I don't want to read all this, but let me read a little bit of it to you. And as they spoke unto the people, the priests and the cattle of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. They're in Solomon's colonnade preaching and people are hearing, being saved. and God is doing miraculous work. The church is on its way. Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, I have news for you. If you ever relinquish the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take this book and throw it to the wind. It ain't worth a biscuit to you. Amen. We are still in our sins and looking for a savior. If Jesus did not raise from the dead. We need to hear it again and again. When we take communion, we need to show the Lord's death till he come. His death, burial, and resurrection. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day. Jesus did not send them down to Lazarus because they loved him as well. He led them into this. Know this, when difficult times come, if you, oh, I've never suffered for Jesus. A little ridicule, a little mocking, a little sarcasm, we're not talking that anymore. 
We're talking about the stuff you read in Voice of the Martyr, not the American. Wake up and smell the coffee. It's here. Are you going to stand? Is this God's word? The one who sent them? No, the one who led them. Do I need to bear that in mind? Hear it again. They laid hands on him, put him in custody. Under the next day, they spent a night in jail. And it was not as nice a jail as the ones we have. These were, they smelt like a urinal. They were horrible. But many of them who heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that there were rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and many of them of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst of them, they asked, by what power, what authority? Or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined for the good deed done this to the impotent man, by what means he is made well, be it known unto you, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you well. This is the stone which the which was set at naught, of which you builders, not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby they must be saved. Now, you know what they're going to do to them? I just want to go down to verse 17. But that it spread no further. This was the conclusion of the enemies of Christ. Among them that spread no further, let us threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name, no more preaching Jesus. You think that ever could become illegal? The billboards that we've seen on the way out here, uh, 800 call for truth. Uh, Jesus cares. Could that be possible? That could be made illegal in this country. Oh, come on. And what about the people who say, I, I, I'm in favor of that. I am behind that. Well, they just threatened them, let them go. Guess what they did? Went right back to doing exactly the same thing they'd been doing before, preaching Jesus. They arrested him again, threw him in jail. And God said, I think I'm going to show you a little something here. And at night, he just let them all out. No, nobody turned the keys and stuff. God just let them out. And guess what they did? They went right back. They've been arrested a second time. They went right back to preaching and teaching in the same place, the same message. So they went and got him again. Chapter 5, Peter finally came to this. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. He didn't change the message again. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be the prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Spirit, whom God hath given us that obey him. You know what they did? Verse 40. They didn't just threaten him. They beat him. They whipped him. Let him go. But they beat him and they whipped him. And they rejoiced that they'd been counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Yes. This was only the beginning. It got worse and worse and worse. There are scriptures in here where Jesus tells his disciples things. And then he'll say, remember I told you before? This is going to be the unpopular preaching. But it's going to cost us something to follow Jesus. Amen. We're going to have to take stands on issues. 
where they may threaten our jobs. We got a call from our daughter today and her daughter-in-law, who's a nurse. They have one child and they want to keep having children. She wrote for an exemption because they said, you'd be vaccinated by this date or you lose your job. 60 within that group said, we ain't gonna do that. And she went in and they said, let me hear your statement. I am a Christian, she says, and I want to have children. And because this shot has not been proven that it is all it's supposed to be and may possibly do, I don't want to have it because I want to have children. They gave her exemption and the exemption to all 60 who applied for it. That, that Praise God now, but that may not always happen. All because of a Christian. Oh, we're a stinking shot. Is that the issue? No, it's Christ. That's what's coming to Because I'm a Christian, I want to do certain things, and I don't want want to do others. So, ah, you're getting political. Let me lovingly say this. Oh, shut up. We've got to start hearing things like this. You may never have me back, but that's okay. I feel like this is what God had me say. It's not the world. Even four, five, five, six years, whenever it's here, it's not the same world. The pace is picking up. And here it is. It's the spirit of Antichrist that's in the world. Well, let me see. I'll close with this. There's, like last night, I had a whole bunch of scriptures that I didn't share with this one. Close with this, two thoughts. He didn't send them, he led them. And it was over the book. It was over the word of God. John 17, verse 14, he is praying. Just a few chapters from where we were at in John chapter 11. In John chapter 17, he says to the Father, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Why? Because they're not of this world, even as I am not of this world. It's going to be over the word. God never asked us to understand everything in this book. He just asked us to believe it. That is true, that it's worth dying for, than to compromise over. Second thought. <clears throat> it says in the parable of the sower, the second kind of soil, the hard soil, and then the soil that's kind of rocky and not real good prepared. It says, but when persecution arises for the word's sake, they crumble. They disappear. Dig deep and lay your foundation on something that's going to produce. It's coming. It's here. It'll be over the word's sake. Revelation chapter 6 verses 9 says this, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them who had been slain, comma, for the word of God and the testimony they held. The testimony they maintained, it was for the word of God. I believe God's word is true. Oh, we don't want to be ashamed of God or his word. We don't want to move so that when God does a work in a person's life that we may know well and love when God does a work they have some place to return to. Holding fast 
to the word of life, holding forth the word of life. Don't put it under a bushel. Keep your signs saying things about Jesus out front. Keep telling people about Jesus. Knowing it may cost. Hold forth the word of life. Hold fast. This book talks about eternity. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal word, word, of, word of glory. The word of God. Hold it fast. Hold it forth. Don't compromise with it. It's going to cost you. I wonder as I preach a message like this if it's going to be one of the messages that's easier to preach than it is to live. The crazy old man just believed the Bible. Wouldn't it be something to be looked upon by the world as a fool and yet be looked upon God as approved? You're ashamed of me, and my words of him of the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes to the glory of his Father and all these holy angels wicked. You may have already heard a message like this. You need to hear it again. And if some other preacher preaches it again later on, we need to hear it again. We need to hear it. Ryan, could you come with, I don't even know if your young people are here, but if they could come up and sing that last song you sang, that fits. In advance of what we know is coming or is here, would anybody want to say, I need prayer that I would be someone who would stand firm on the word of God and not compromise. Anybody want a piece of that? I do. I want to be prayed for for Lord, help us. And when we're threatened, may our response be proper so that we can do it again when a threat of greater magnitude comes, possibly some physical, financial, relational people that would disappoint us. May we be those who stand. We don't want to move. We want to line up with heaven and we don't know how to do it apart from your word. We just, if you hadn't given us your word, we would no way know your will. They're inseparably related. To know your will is to have to know your word, what you have said. Speak to us, O oh God. Prepare us. Strengthen our faith. God, it's getting more and more risky to stand for you. May we not be silent or ashamed, but be strong in you. Oh God, we need grace to be all the things I'm praying for. Help us. May we not ordain that which you disdain. May we not compromise with that upon which you called us to stand and having done all to stand. Having our loins girt about us with truth. Oh God, when the spirit of fear comes knocking at our door, when the cost now becomes a reality, oh God, pour out your grace that would strengthen us to stand initially and increasingly, God, to have a strong stand on your word. Thank you for it. <laughs> Thank you for living in a country where we still have it. 
Give us renewed desire to read it and know what it is we believe, to study it, to love it, to fall in love with your word. And God, for all the things that I can't think of at this moment to pray about for us, would you pray for us? Would you make the intercession? you ever lived to make intercession for the saint? Would you just pray for us in a language we don't, are unable to speak, dear God? Help us. And we'll be careful for whatever you do. We'll be thankful for whatever you do and careful to thank you, dear God. Because we know you do all things well. Use this message totally different what I'm accustomed to preaching. Maybe what I need to be doing more of. We ask this in the mighty name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.